A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. It is a fast piece music, it builds up brass instruments, horns, a steel pan drum. Between the tempo and the instruments, it's really kind of hard to resist emotion. All-time favorite soca song is Girls Gone Wild by Lil Rick. There's forms, Trouble in the Morning. That look like trouble in the morning. Dollar Wine, I associate Dollar Wine with our dance-giving party with my, my two brothers and their families and us dancing. It gives me that human connection at carnival time and at other times where you're just belting out the lyrics to a perfect stranger. I cannot think of one single era in my life of significance where soca music was not there to comfort me or to make sense of my story. So I think sometimes people think that soca is just like wine and jam and drink rum and fall down and party and I think Soka is like a really beautiful story about Trinidad and Tobago. This year, Soka music turns 50 years old. It's a genre of music that was born in Trinidad and Tobago and today it can be heard all over the world. I'm a citizen of TNT, my father is from there, and I grew up listening to Soka basically all the time at family gatherings, in the car with my dad, and every holiday. To me, it's the music of celebration. Since the early 70s, soca has reinvented itself, decade after decade, from the way artists put out their music to how fans want the genre to grow. Soca is now more than just party music. It's a soundtrack of Trinidad and Tobago. I think it's important to just make sure that as we promote the music, we also promote the history and the heritage. On today's episode, we celebrate 50 years of soca and look ahead to what's next. I'm Ariel Zimros. This is Vice News Reports. My name is Trent. Online, I'm known as Trini Trent. I talk about gender, sexual orientation, sexual identity, culture. I'm also a very big fan of soca music. Trent, the producer that I'm working with on this episode, told me that you have very strong feelings about one particular soca hit, Turn Me On by Kevin Little. Can you tell me how you feel about that song? I don't I don't think that's a good thing for me to comment on on microphone. <laughs> <laughs> it's not straight up soca. What makes it soca is a melody. But a lot of the, the beat that dun, 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 that's dancehall. So it's a soca dancehall hit. It's not my favorite record in the world, but I do appreciate it for what he was able to achieve. And of course, seeing the Trinidadian flags and seeing the West Indian flags in that video, it meant something. What are your earliest memories of listening to soca music? My mother came of age during the era of disco and funk and R&B and, you know, American pop. She definitely introduced me to listening to Diana Ross and listening to Michael Jackson and Donna Summer. But at the same time, the real foundation was Calypso and soca. You know, I came on a house where I was hearing Lord Kitchener, Mighty Sparrow, Shadow, David Rudder. First soca song that I ever knew was Frenchman by Taxi. 
I always remember the chorus is Soki, 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 Wee, Wee. I can't really sing that well, but it's, I know I will get my life to that song. Because when I was little, I used to dance it out of my diapers, right in front of the TV. And my grandmother used to be clapping for me, dance me, dance me. And that was the first soca song that I remember. That's beautiful. Listen, I, I'm Trinidadian. My, my dad is from there. Uh, but I didn't grow up there. I grew up in Canada. So, you know, I have a, a fairly good understanding of how important this music is to Trinidad. But for somebody who maybe isn't as familiar... From your perspective, what role does soca music occupy in Trinidadian culture? Soca is really the, the fuel of Trinidadian culture and Trinidadian music at this point. When you hear soca music, you feel like you need to dance. When you hear soca music, you feel like you need to let go. And that's all part of the carnival spirit. You know, there's a song that came out this year for 2023 carnival by an artist named Ula Tunji. He had a song called Engine Room. The structure of the music is around the rhythm section, you know, the bottle and the spoon and, you know, the percussion, this music that's all coming together that is so like when you hear it, you have to move your body. That's the engine room. And that song is a cross-generational hit. When I say that, I mean that older people love it, younger people love it. It plays in parties regardless of how old or how young the people are. And in the remix of that song is by Rimbunction. He actually gets the legendary David Rudder, to come on the track with him. Legendary icon. This is a a person who is known across the diaspora. Trinity to the bone. Trinity to the bone. That's that's the, you know, as far as a diaspora. His famous hits. Mm -hmm. If you think about the diaspora and you think about what an anthem that represents us in the diaspora, Trinity to the bone is definitely one of those songs. It, it fulfills different roles because it's not just party music. It's not just fun. It's not just something you listen to to exercise, but it can also be self-aware. It could also be music that tells a story of a generation. It speaks to generations because it's no longer just one generation. It now speaks to multiple generations that are coming along. Soka is so many things. I, I often say that soca is basically becoming the pop genre of the Caribbean. Soca music opens the space for synthetic influences to come in, where you can hear electronically programmed elements. You have pads and you hear different things that were programmed into a keyboard. You hear electric guitars. You're going to hear a lot of horns, a lot of brass, you know, brass sections, you know, trumpets and horns. The drum, the percussion, the movement, the rhythm, it ties everything together. I mean, I I have a hard time imagining myself listening to it and staying in my seat, right? But we're talking about 50 years of soca. It came out of something. Tell me the origins of this genre. Tell me how we got here. Well, this is an interesting story. (laughs) Buckle up, children. This is fun. Happening right before the 1970s, from the 1960s at the turn of that decade into the 70s, we had the start of the Black Power movement. Now, I want to talk to Black people across this country. Number one, we have to stop being ashamed of being black. We've got to stop being ashamed of being black. Number two, we have to move into a position where we can define terms. You know, Trinidad and Tobago, at this point, we had achieved independence status. We were moving toward becoming a republic state, where we had our own head of state by 1976. And in that pocket... Of that 14-year period, we had so many things happening. But one of the things that had the biggest impact on who we were as a people was Black power. 
people started to ask and questions about who they were. Who am I? What's my voice? With that also, with that coming in of ideas was a coming in of foreign tastes because people started to really listen to music outside of a Trinidad and Tobago context. You had people listening to funk and disco and R&B and soul. You know, rock and roll was had evolved into funk and in, into R&B and, in, and the early stages of hip hop. You had all of these different things happening and young people started to wear, you know, dashikis and afros and bell-bottom jeans and, you know, they, they started to really shape the status quo. And in that time, you had to turn your lens at Calypso music. Because when you looked at Calypso, Calypso was considered to be the music of your parents' generation, of the older generation, as I said. So young people started to, and this is the story as it's been told, lose favor for, for Calypso music. Not completely, but you started to see people say, Calypso dead, that's old people music, and I'm listening to that. When I, oh God, I did the same Calypso over and over. So people started to veer away from it. So at this point, we had Lord Shorty. And Lord Shorty was observing what was going on. And he had a conversation with a certain producer who told him, listen, you know, because he was working on some new music and the producer said, why are you making this Calypso thing? It's dead. Nobody interested in that. That's, you know, it's dying. It's gone. It's, it's no longer the hot, the hot stuff. Shorty didn't like that. So what Shorty did is that he sat back and he decided to reinvent Calypso music. He decided to reinvigorate the genre. And to do that, he decided instead of looking outward, Shorty decided, I'm going to look inward within a Trinidad and Tobago context, pulling from the rhythms, pulling from the instrumentation within Trinidad and Tobago to create something fresh. He paid attention to the African rhythms. He paid attention to that melody, that vibrancy, especially in the horns, in the brass section. And then he combined it with East Indian rhythms. All of these things are considered to be black art forms and black cultural expressions. East Indian people were not necessarily represented in this. And that mattered in that moment, right? Because Trinidad had and still has a really large population of people who are of Indian descent. Yeah. Um, so what Ra Shorty did, well, Lord Shorty at the time, he combined the two different styles together. So in 1971 is when he started his experiment, when he started to really work on what would become the first soca song, which was Indrani. And it got mixed reviews. So he continued to work on it. He continued to refine it. And by the time we got to songs like, like Om Shanti Om... We got Endless Vibrations, one of my favorite songs. By the time we got to that point in the mid to late 1970s, he had perfected what would be the soca sound that would define the next decade of music, of soca music in Trinidad. And it caught on like wildfire. The old feeling and it just continued to grow and blossom and to the point now that you can find soca in almost every Caribbean West Indian territory. One of the things that my dad says often about soca versus calypso is that calypso is sort of this storytelling, news-spreading type music, right? While he loves soca, I think sometimes he sort of misses that aspect in the music. He finds it to be, you know, much less storytelling uh, a little bit more like party music. That's something that he feels is a critique of the music. Is any of that accurate? There is some truth in it. Calypso music was a disruption of colonial spaces. Calypso music gave 
a voice. It became a medium through which many people in this country were able to voice their issues. But if we move forward to soca music, if we look at soca music, there are moments of self-awareness in the music in itself. And it's not just about wine and jam, party, lift your hand up, you know, wave your flag, run from left to right. Yeah, jump and wave. It's not just that. Yeah, jump and wave, palance. It's, it's, not, it's not just that. Because there are, there are moments in soca music where we are talking about real issues. Freetown Collective this year, they have a record called Mighty People. And it starts off with a quote by Marcus Garvey. They do not know what we are thinking. Because my work has only just begun. And throughout the record, he's saying, up you mighty people, up you mighty people. That's the hook. Because he's saying, you know, get up and move. You can achieve anything if you push yourself. That in itself is is, is awareness. It, it sounds like a fun song. Yeah, I want to exercise and do some jumping jacks to it. But when you listen to the music, it's encouraging, it's uplifting, and it's motivating. Your body is a temple, your sweat is holy water. Every move you're making is and from what I understand, Soka started to spread outside of the Caribbean to places like Brooklyn and New York City. How did the genre change as it traveled? It's interesting because Soka in itself, just like Calypso, it has always expanded. What happened in at one point in the action in the 1990s, when I think about Soka, I think about what Marsha Montano and the ecstatic band, um, his band is ecstatic. What they did at that point in time was when he was working on, I think the name of the album was Heavy Duty. That's the album that had Big Truck. It's very bass forward. It's big. It's booming. It's brash. It's in your face. And that in itself shows a generational shift because he himself was coming of age. So when you think about it is that artists who go abroad, what happens is they get exposed to different things. And then when they come back within a Trinidadian context, they bring their new learnings and they apply to the space. They learn things about the business. It has helped the industry in itself to evolve. Right. And like we said at the top of the episode, like one of the big things about Soka is that it's evolving all of the time. And I think that one of the really important bits of that evolution is the central role that it's taken in Carnival. And Carnival is this massive celebration that lasts for months and culminates in this one really big week. But I've never been to Carnival. So, Trent, can you describe it for people who've never experienced it? Carnival is a space in which we get to express ourselves and our true selves. Where we as one people existing in one place, it's like the air is electric. It's like this excitement, this raw energy. You know, you're hearing the music playing. People are out in the streets if they're, they're, they're playing juve, where they're covered in oil or clay or mud or chocolate syrup or paint or soap. And then you come across the Carnival Tuesday, that is pretty mass. That's when you put on the expensive costume that you just had to spend almost more than half your paycheck on. And you put on your costume and you, you come out and you parade early in the morning from the time the sun is up until in the night, half past eight, nine o'clock. And then you wrap it up and you come back home and you mourn. Exhausted. Yeah, you're, but you're still on a high with your morning because there's no carnival done. The last time I played, I actually cried at the end of carnival because I couldn't believe it was over. And you get, it's an emotional experience. But you know that if you truly had a great carnival season, not just the, the parade, not just the week of, but if you had a proper season, those months of activity, you get to let everything out. And you feel like you've let all of this weight off of your system and now you're free to flow through the rest of the year. 
So Trent, with Carnival being so important to soca artists, how has the pandemic affected that dynamic? You know, there was no Carnival in 2021. And then in 2022, Carnival was this weird hybrid. Some of it was online. So how did that impact the music and the artists? Artists had, now they had to find different ways to perform. Because I still remember before, you could perform at 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 parties in a week. You could make a lot of money. Now none of those parties exist. You had to figure out, how am I going to reach an audience? That's after the break. So Trent, you were telling us about how important Carnival is for soca artists and Trinidadians generally, and how when Carnival was canceled at the onset of the pandemic, a lot of soca artists had to adapt really quickly. How did they do that? A lot of artists, they had to really discover who they were in a, in a digital space. You know, we had artists adapting to social media like never before. Like during the last if you want to say from 2021, 2022, we can see the rise of artists on TikTok. We can see the rise of artists on social media like Twitter and Instagram and Facebook connecting with their fans like they've never had to before, performing on live streams. But then, of course, you had people who managed to, through the digital space, explode. Patrice Roberts, she was already very famous here in Trinidad and throughout the diaspora, very successful. But when you think of Mind My Business, Best Saka Song of the Year. And you think of the way that she has exploded on TikTok. When you hear her voice, I always say she has a vintage Trinidad voice. Her voice is calypso. She has a tone. When you hear her, she sounds like the countryside. She sounds like Toko. She sounds like the, the North Coast. She sounds like it's nostalgia in her throat, just the tone of her voice. Where we have American celebrities, celebrities out of the UK, people who people who have never heard soca in their life are singing Drink Water and Mind My Business. We also saw a lot of artists put their music on streaming for the first time, or at least expand their catalogs on streaming. You know, there was a point in time when artists, you could not find a lot of their music online. It's still a, it's still a challenge, but you have people who are now putting their music bit by bit by bit because they're finally understanding the importance of the online community, the resistance that they had before. They're now realizing, listen, if I'm not relevant in a digital space, then where am I going to be? Where, where's my career going to be? Totally. A lot of these artists had to invest in their digital presence. But I'm wondering, how did that impact fans? How did they experience that change? What's going on is that at the start of this year, I, like many other people, I tweeted on Twitter. I said, I, I don't understand what's going on. I want to support Soka, but I just I just feel like there's nothing to enjoy. I, I, I didn't like anything I was hearing. Nothing. But then I sat back and I said, you know what? I have to do the work. I'm maybe I've just gotten so accustomed to how things were like before the pandemic, where I would discover new soca by turning on the radio. I have to go on streaming now and look for it. So the way the artists release their music has changed. And now I, the way I consume music also has, has to adapt. And I started to listen to the music. Some artists have really, from a musical perspective, they've, you can tell that they've grown. A good example of that, it, to me, is the song that really provides the capstone for the 50th anniversary of soca, which is Voice, Long Live Soca. And I remembered saying to myself, 
this is probably going to be the biggest song for Carnival. And of course, there are songs like Engine Room by Ola Tunji. And there are all these other records that I felt just captured. It just really captured the energy and the essence of soca music. I hesitate to say this because a lot of people listen to soca all around the world. And also at the same time, despite having had major worldwide breakthrough hits, I get a sense that there are a lot of people who maybe know some of these songs, but don't know that it's soca, right? And I'm kind of wondering, what is it going to take for people to recognize these songs as soca? Right now, there's this idea and this and this movement, it has been going on now for a while, to make soca glow global, you know, make it go international. And as you correctly said, it already is international. I mean, the Caribbean has different countries. That means we're international. And it's in Germany. It's in Japan. It's in the UK. It's in parts of America. It's in Latin America. It's in Central America. It's in China. Soka is everywhere. West Africa, when you look at what's going on right now with Afrobeats, there are Afrobeats artists who have mixed in Soka to their sound. So I think it's important to just make sure that as we promote the music, we also promote the history and the heritage. And for those individuals who are involved, producers, DJs, artists, arrangers, writers, who are involved in the in the creation and promotion of the music and getting the message out there, I also think they have to just be very aware of the responsibility that they have to the genre itself and think beyond. And the artists who are performing the soca are getting the opportunities to perform at dance festivals like Coachella, etc. They're getting the opportunity to reach new places. And they're learning new things that they can then bring back to Trinidad or bring back to their home country, be it Barbados, St. Lucia, St. Vincent, whatever, and help enrich the environment that they're in. That's fantastic. But at the same time, we have to be sure, one, what we're promoting is actually soca. Because if it is that the song is 99% reggaeton and 1% soca, is it really soca that you're promoting? And then we also have to be very mindful of, okay, yes, we're giving soca a space, but what are we giving up? Because everything comes at a cost. So if it is that you're trying to make the music go global, my question is, what is the definition of global? Because for many people, when they say global, they really mean, how do we get only billboard charts in America? That's what they really look at. They also actually, I think I would argue, go even further. What what I think they mean is, how do we get white people to recognize this music and listen to it? Mm-hmm. That is definitely what a lot of people want. Because you, when I you see people say, we want a soca category at the Grammys. We want the song to go number one on the Billboard charts. So what you're telling me is, oh, okay, what you want is a space in a white-dominated space. Because you're not saying you want a, a soca category at the BET Awards or the NAACP Awards or the Soul Train Awards, but we've won awards there. Bunch Garland has been nominated. Marshall has won. Yet that's not what you want. You want a space at the Grammys because that is considered not just the highest level in music excellence in America. It's also the place where you tend to see white domination. You want a, you want a space there. And that takes levels of work, in personal work, community-level work, national-level work, regional-level work, to unpack what's going on there, because that's all part of our post-colonial experience. And also, you're opening the door for other people to enter that space. But they're not coming in to make music alongside you. They're coming in now, oh, this is something that I too can buy and sell in a capitalist environment. So I'm going to come in, I'm going to take it, I'm going to repackage it, I'm going to sell it, I'm going to make money from it, and not a dime of that money is going back to your country. So they, for lack of a better term, they colonize the music. And when they, when they do that, what does that sound like? 
do I want this genre to be something that expands to reach a global stage beyond the stage it has already achieved? Of course. I want it to be fantastic. I, I want it to reach far. But I do want it to also be something that we can all acknowledge. It represents West Indian people. It has its roots in Trinidad and Tobago. And it's something that we can all enjoy together without losing the magic that is soca. This story was produced by Adriana Tapia and edited by Adiza Egan and Stephanie Kariuki. Vice News Reports is produced by Sam Egan, Sophie Cazes, Adriana Rodriguez, and Adriana Tapia. Our senior producers are Jesse Alejandro Cuttrell, Janice Yamoka, and Julia Nutter. Our supervising producer is Ashley Cleek. Our associate producer is Steph Brown. Sound design and music composition by Steve Bone, Pran Bandy, and Kyle Murdoch. Our executive producers are Adiza Egan and Stephanie Kariuki. For Vice Audio, Annie Aviles is our executive editor, and Janet Lee is our senior production manager. Fact-checking by Sophie Hurwitz. Our theme music is by Steve Bone. Our VP of audio is Charles Roggio. I'm Ariel Zimros. You enjoyed this episode. Please take the time to rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you think. It really helps other people decide to press that play button when they do find us. Vice News Reports drops every Thursday, so be sure to check back in next week.